Yo, so this is a super fun conversation with the founder of Zbiotics, which is a synthetic biology company that is curing hangovers, which is a really cool thing. And then they're going to do even more than that. You may have seen the video, but essentially this drink that Zbiotic makes gives your stomach the same enzymes as your liver so that you can actually process alcohol or the byproducts of alcohol so that they don't give you a hangover. This is insane. And you know, I figured it would work, but when I actually tried it, I was shocked at how good I felt the next morning. So definitely if you are going to use Zbiotics, go to zbiotics.com and use code NASDAQ for 10% off. Otherwise, in this conversation, we talk about what it's like starting a synthetic biology company, this product, and then future products that they want to build, and what you should do if you want to get into the field of synthetic biology. So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation, and without further ado, let's get into it. So Zach, I really appreciate you taking the time. What have you been up to lately? Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, mostly just been up to keeping Zbox moving forward and, you know, trying to figure everything out and, and really trying to adapt on the fly as the world is just constantly changing, right? Like we were, you know, we launched in a pre-COVID world in the before times and then, and then you know, COVID happened and and obviously everybody changed like all their social behaviors and, and then mm -hmm. now it's, you know, it's definitely not, we're still in that time, but, you know, as it looks like people are, you know, starting to, you know, there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel here with the vaccine and, you know, people's behaviors might be sort of shifting back to what we knew before. And so just kind of thinking about how we kind of move mm -hmm. all those things. So that's kind yeah. of, a, you know, nice. it's pretty much. nice, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So everybody, I think that's, that's watching this right now has just seen the original TikTok video. You have a product now that can kind of cure hangovers. This is like a huge thing for anybody that's in university, anybody that's still drinking. And you know, the main thing is that it processes the acetylaldehyde in our gut. Can you explain kind of how you came to this product and uh, how you built it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that like one of the amazing things I discovered when I, so I had a little bit of background, you know, I did a PhD in microbiology and while I was in my PhD, I was, you know, we use genetic engineering all the time to make research tools and, and just sort of like study bacteria and stuff. And I, I just found that it was like, we take this thing for granted, right? Like this technology so much, it was just so easy to do these things. And, and, you know, we're basically just leveraging a process that bacteria have refined over the last 3 billion years. You know, we think of like, you know, when we think about, for instance, to, to digress ever so slightly, think right. about like, you know, plant crossbreeding, right? Crossbreeding plants, right? And it seems like a very natural and, and simple thing that we do to kind of essentially exchange traits between plants. And, and we think of that as this, this like very basic and simple and old thing, right? Like, um, but it's actually like really rudimentary and and not at all well-refined relative to bacterial gene transfer because bacteria have been around so much longer than plants, you know, several billion years longer than plants. And, and their so, life cycles are faster. So then they faster. evolve faster. Exactly. Yeah. And they're, and they're much better at exchanging DNA, incorporating DNA. They're much more precise. It's, you know, they've had a lot longer to, to essentially get it, get it right. Right. And so when we look at like the way bacteria exchange genes, it's so much more efficient than plants. And, and so we can be so precise and so clear about what we're doing. Whereas when we cross two plants, we have like no idea essentially what's happening. <laughs> we kind of just like, like this black box and then we hope that it has the things we want and not other things, but that's not at all the case when we're editing bacteria. And so in any event, and this is something that is just like, you know, fundamental and well understood kind of in the world of genetics, like of, you know, especially microbial genetics. And so I was working on this stuff and it just struck me like how cool it is that we can, with genetic engineering, we can program any biological function on the planet that anything mm -hmm. in, in the whole planet does. We can program that into a bacteria using genetic engineering. And I, I just like 
that is just amazing, right? And so what were you doing in your PhD? What were you studying? Well, you know, it was something very esoteric and like having no in the real world, but it was just like an interesting question as is the case a lot of times with academia. I was studying this bacteria called Legionella pneumophila, which creates a rare, it causes a rare form of pneumonia called Legionnaire's disease. And, you know, I got just interested in this, this interesting kind of way that the bacteria was regulating its genome. And I was just studying this kind of random family of genes that were very, very interesting, academically speaking. What do you um, mean, not to dive too much into this, yeah, but like, what yeah. do you mean by regulating its genome? Well, so like, this is one of the cool things about bacteria is that they have this, like, we think of them as these sort of like rudimentary beings, like single cells are very simple and, and they are in some ways, but they're actually, in some ways, it's actually a lot more complicated, right? That like they have to, in one cell, accomplish like all of their life functions that like we use a lot of cells. We sort of specialize in outsource, right? Like a skin cell and a heart cell do kind of two different things for us, but like with the bacteria, they kind of got to do everything. And so that means that they have to make a lot of decisions like on the fly in a given environment in order to be successful in that environment. So, you know, if there are nutrients available, you don't want to spend energy swimming around, you want to, you want that system off and then turn on like nutrient acquisition, or if like you're under attack, you want to shut down everything else and turn on like, you know, defense mechanisms or counterattack. So, and so, so is it essentially like regulating its epigenetics? Yeah, it fly? is. It's, it's, it's like that. It's like, you know, what genes are, you know, they have this cohort of, you know, with Legionella, I think it's something like 3000 genes and they, you know, want to express some sometimes and others other times. And, and that has got to be very situationally dependent. And so how, I thought it was a really fascinating question, like how in a, like, so for instance, with Legionella, when it's growing exponentially, it, it turns off all of its virulence traits and things like that, because it's really focused on just replicating. Um, and that's usually in a situation where nutrients are plentiful. And then when nutrients become depleted, it like really quickly shuts everything off for growth. And then it switches on all these like these defense and virulence trait, you know, factors and things like that. And it's sort of like, how does it do this whole like global shift? And so the bacteria, hmm. you know, what the I was studying was like this really fascinating and interesting mechanism because all different bacteria do it different ways. And they had this, this, this sort of like master regulator called CSRA. And it was part of, I mean, you know, there's a lot of different things, but it was part of what helped kind of turn off certain traits and turn on others. Okay. And it was just really cool to learn about. And, and it, it functioned in this very, very you know specific way. And then kind of, I found all these other genes that sort of looked like it, and then they were also conserved. And so it was like, okay, what, what are they all doing? And so that was- So it had like kind of hidden genes that it wasn't necessarily using all the time. And you were like, okay, what do these do? Can I put it in an environment that will use these genes and then figure out what they are actually meant for like, 3000 genes trying to map like what the genes right so these guys like had the smell of something important because they were related to the other genes we knew were very important but as you pointed out I, I wouldn't necessarily call them hidden they were just sort of like hidden to us because we you know grow bacteria in these luxuriant laboratory conditions and so they don't use a lot of their genome because they don't have to and so then so yeah like you say trying to like figure out what conditions kind of these things turn on so, so did you find any cool conditions or yeah what were you going to say there yeah, no, actually it was. So Legionella is this really interesting bacteria that has this, like it can, can persist in a lot of different unique environments and sometimes very stressful ones by bacterial standards. And so we did find that one of these genes looked like it was important for Legionella's ability to persist in new sort of like more stringent environments. And so that could have ramifications okay. given the fact that it is a pathogen. So that, you know, 
truthfully though, it was mostly academic. You know, it was, it was very fun to kind of be an investigator and kind of dig into all that stuff. But I think one of the, the big things I took away from that was that that there were all these strategies that bacteria use to turn on and off genes. And I got you know, there were some really elegant kind of like counter switches that bacteria were using to regulate really important functions like motility, right? Which is a very expensive function. So the bacteria's ability to swim is super important for its survival, but it's also very expensive. Like it takes a lot of proteins and a lot of energy. So they want to be very careful about when they turn that on and off, but it's a very robust function. And so it like, Ultimately, at the core of Zbiotics, right? You know, we talk about this product that you know breaks down acetaldehyde and all that kind of stuff. But like, what actually our technology is at the end of the day is actually that gene regulation and the ability of us to edit the bacteria so that it will express the genes we want when we want them to, and mm-hmm. not like when we don't, or 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 when when the bacteria are in an environment where they wouldn't normally express. So, were you able to make the motility genes so that it could swim around express when it necessarily didn't? want them to based on the environment. So then you could be like, okay, it's in this environment. It wouldn't naturally be swimming, but we're actually going to make it start swimming. Essentially like, like we could, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. and, and with Zbiotics, we actually, I actually did end up leveraging the motility promoter. Oh, really? Yeah. Like that was like, because it's such an important and robust promoter, right? Like, like when you do want to swim, you have to get like you have to turn it on and it's very highly expressed because okay. you have to make a lot of these flagellin proteins to build a whole flagellum and everything. And so, so instead, so what we did was instead of having the bacteria express like all this flagellin, we had it express our protein of interest. And so it was, we knew it would make a lot of it, but then of course we had to make sure that it was willing to express this protein and use this promoter, even when it wasn't in an environment that the bacteria recognized as suitable for swimming. And so mm. that required me to tap into my understanding of bacterial genetics to know like, how is it normally turn this off? And like, how do we sort of make sh- like, you know, convince it to not turn that off anymore so that mm-hmm. it will be constitutive. So it'll express it all the time. And so ultimately, fundamentally, that is the core of Zbiotics technology is that promoter system. And then whatever gene we pop into that into the slot behind that promoter, right? So naturally that gene is a flagellin motility. gene. So, right, okay. exactly. And so now we're just swapping that out for, in the first case, an enzyme that breaks down acetaldehyde. So you're not making them motility, you're not making them extra motile or anything like that. You're not making them right. swim around in our guts. You're just taking that motile gene and then replacing it with the acetaldehyde enzymes that you got exactly. from the probiotics or where did you well, get so this one actually got so yeah so you're exactly right and so the bacteria actually no longer are modal because we've swapped out their gene for motility which is <laughs> which is fine it actually makes them you know it you know that if anything it's it's you know it weakens them in some way and so oh. not that it's an issue one way or the other because this is a very safe bacteria and so it's not an issue but like you know the last thing you want to do right is create something that has some sort of advantage and so if anything we've made this sort of have something of a disadvantage okay. um, but yeah so in any event it's no longer able to swim but it's able to make a lot of acetaldehyde dehydrogenase and so we get this acetaldehyde dehydrogenase enzyme um, this one specifically we got from another bacteria so what's cool is that like this enzyme is a this enzyme class acetaldehyde dehydrogenase So these are enzymes that turn acetaldehyde into acetate. They are extremely ubiquitous in nature. Like 70% of all life, not just bacteria, but like all life on the planet has some version of this enzyme. So like- And our livers do too. Well, that's say the human (laughs) liver enzyme. We actually, humans actually have several acetaldehyde dehydrogenases, but like the one that's important for alcohol metabolism, DH2, is actually like not that different 
than than many bact than bacterial enzymes that do the same function. And so it's a very old, evolutionarily speaking, a very old enzyme or old gene. And so that's cool. So the things is, you know, they all have these minor differences, you know, in terms of their bases and their charge and some of their structure and stuff that makes them suited to different expression systems that are sort of built. I, you know, I, I, I can think of a good analogy for, for why this matters, but like, they're just like the structure just kind of, you know, it has like the branding of that bug as opposed to like the brand of another, you know, so, you know, I guess you could, you know, like if you, you get an, you know, an email from different companies that sort of look differently, but they have the same function for you, which is to keep you, you know, you know, informed. buying a product or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So, Maybe informed. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, basically looked the most like our bacteria and that our bacteria was kind of willing to express. And so we tried out a few different ones. And the one we found that seemed like our bacteria accepted and liked the best was this one from another just sort of environmental microbe. It's called Cuprovatus nicotter. And it's, you know, found in like sort of just, you know, water systems and things like that. And it's non-pathogenic or anything, which was important. So because I actually found this a great version of the enzyme in Vibrio cholerae, which is the bacteria that causes cholera. Uh, mm. And even though that, <laughs> would have, that it would have nothing, you know, it'd have no, like, you know, it, it wouldn't, it's not the thing that makes cholera, you know, dangerous. Right. But mm -hmm. it, it's like, you're just the optics of like having taken it from uh, a know, brand gene. perspective. You do not yeah. want to be taking the cholera the genes from cholera and putting it into humans. No. So you found exactly. this very like safe uh, version of the acetyl. Right. Exactly. And so we just, and we slotted it in there, you know, so we started with GFP with green fluorescence protein. And so we just showed that we could. And so what's cool is this is a, just like an awesome protein that like glows green and the more protein you have, the brighter green it is. And so, you know, when I started building the promoter system, we just were using, I was just using GFP and I just kept going until I saw that I got a lot, like a really bright, like green bullet growing, glowing bug. Um, oh, and cool. then we, we swapped in this. So that's how you idea. knew so, you were targeting the right place. Exactly. And then exactly. I yeah. We validated that promoter that way with, with GFP, cause it's like a really easy readout and man, it's very dramatic and like, you know, fun. And, and then yeah. we swapped in the acetyl dehydrogenase and, you know, like I said, we tried a few and then we, you know, this one we swapped in and, you know, got really good expression, protein expression. And we saw, we validated that the enzyme was functional and it could break down acetaldehyde and indeed it could break down enough acetaldehyde that like it would be relevant, like based on the amount of acetaldehyde you're exposed to when you drink and things like that. So, um, and it wouldn't decompose in the gut too fast or anything like that. Yeah, I think well, that's that was, a big, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, that, that was like one of the interesting things that like, it was like an early insight that I had when I started building the product was uh, we, when we started, I really wanted to just keep everything very simple. Like there are a lot of unknowns and challenges and complexities that arise. Like when you're talking about the microbiome and all the community of bacteria that live in your gut. And then even when you're talking about bacterial genetics, right? Like there are, you know, thousands of genes and they all regulated differently. And so it was like, how could we sort of just pick something that didn't like bring in all of those complications. Like that really was like very isolated. And so it was like a single enzyme performing like a single biochemical function rather than trying to get something that could do a whole bunch of functions strung together because that's more places where it could break. And then the idea was also like, like you said, like the, the environment of the gut is, can be very sort of, you know, unfriendly or like caustic to different enzymes and stuff. And so enzymes break down quickly. The pH is relatively low and the there are a lot of other proteins that break down proteins called proteases. And so you can lose this function quickly if, if the enzyme is not functional or robust. And so one of the things that I saw was like a cool opportunity was rather than have the bacteria secrete the protein into your gut and go and try and find acetaldehyde, I mean, mm -hmm. then deal with all the kind of like, you know, unknowns and, and crazy environment of your gut. 
it would be a lot simpler if we could instead get the bacteria to take up the acetaldehyde rather than than spit the enzyme out. So because then it would be in a known environment, so it can exactly, process bacteria, it instead of having to. Yeah, exactly. So the bacteria inside the bacterial cell is ideal for back, the bacterial proteins to function, right? Like they keep the pH normalized and they have cofactors that are available, and and it's tied to other metabolic pathways, so you get a lot of benefit there as well. And so. So there's sort of like this wild unknown outside, but then inside everything is like a very controlled little little bacterial bioreactor essentially. And so but nobody that, had tried that before. Well, I I don't know if anybody <laughs> tried it explicitly before. It's so nobody tried a lot of what we've done before. We are the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic. So nobody's ever engineered a probiotic to perform a specific biological function and then have you eat that bacteria to temporarily gain that function. And so like people have made enzymes using bacteria and then given you the enzyme to eat, right? But that is going to be a much more transient and unpredictable situation. The, that mm -hmm. enzyme is going to break down in your stomach. It's only going to remain functional for a short period of time. It may not even be functional at all, but like with a, a live bacteria performing a function for you, it's not just relying on the enzyme. You're getting the whole benefit of the bacteria and all the things that's naturally evolved to do over the last three billion. And so does it seek out the acetaldehyde in your gut or how does it find it? Because you drink this before or during drinking or maybe after at the end of the night. And then it does it seek out the acetaldehyde that's in your gut? So ideally you drink Z-Biotics before you start drinking. So it's in there and ready and waiting for when the acetaldehyde okay. is, you know, it becomes available. Mm -hmm. And then while it's in your gut, so the volume of your gut is sort of like, think of it as like these little like pools of liquid and your back in the bacteria kind of like, so as you know, your gut moves along, it moves these pools of liquid along. And so the bacteria are kind of like in that pool and acetaldehyde was a great place to start because acetaldehyde is highly soluble and it can actually passively tra travel through membranes without active import. And so basically what happens is that the acetaldehyde is constantly normalizing out externally and internally within the concentration of uh, across the membrane of the bacterial cell. So mm -hmm. as long as like the bacteria are in that pool with that acetaldehyde for enough time for that concentration to normalize, as they break down the acetaldehyde inside the cell, more acetaldehyde diffuses into the bacteria. And, and then it continues to break that down. And, and you know, that may sound unlikely uh, potentially, or like, I don't know, will that really work? And it was a good question. I was worried about that as well. And so when we did our initial testing, we did see that like, if we put in a physiologically relevant amount of, of acetaldehyde, meaning the amount of acetaldehyde we know is probably in your gut after a night of heavy drinking, and we put it in like a known volume of liquid, would we see over a a relevant period of time, like say like the six to eight hours that you're sleeping, would we see that acetaldehyde go away. Mm -hmm. And, and indeed we did. So we know that since we have a pretty good idea of what the environment of your gut looks like, we know that when we replicate that, that it, it does work. So, so, you know, obviously we, you know, we haven't gone into a person's gut and like, you know, observe that. But you have you know? tested it yourself. And right. And so, so then the readout becomes different, right? So that's the biochemical readout, like mm -hmm. in the test tube to say like, okay, yes, there is like a, the data is consistent with the hypothesis that it could help. Right. And then, you know, but that is by no means proof. Right. And so so a lot of people ask me that, you know, like, oh, well, like, yeah, but like, how do you know? And they keep asking like the deeper, but it's like, look, at the end of the day, like, does the product work for you? Right. And so that's one of the reasons why I chose, you know, we have a lot of big visions and dreams for what we're going to do with this technology, but we wanted a proof of concept and a place to start. And I thought a really great place to start was one in which there was a very visceral readout for the end user. Right. So like I can put my data on my website all day, but you know, 95 out of a hundred people or 99 of a hundred people aren't going to be 
going to go look at that data. If they do look at it, they'll never be fully convinced, right? Like, especially if it's like a normal probiotic, that's just supposed to like help your gut function a little bit better. Like yeah. that you're not going to experience that, but by curing a hangover or preventing a hangover and you, you drink uh, a lot and you're like, wake up fine. That's very visceral. Like you just said, that's what I mean. Yeah. So the idea is like, you can try this product for yourself. And then if you wake up the next day and you feel better, then like, you know, like that, you know, all the like biochemistry and the acid out of hide and like all that, that whole story, like, I mean, doesn't even matter anymore. Right. Like all that matters is, that, and if you don't, then you, then, okay, then it's not for you. Right. And so that was kind of the idea was right. Like exactly. If we started with something for general sort of gut wellness or something, there's no way for you to know if the product is actually benefiting you. And, and people mm -hmm. are comfortable with that to some degree. Right. I mean, like there's a whole probiotics industry predicated on the, on just sort of the the belief that these products will help you in some way that you can't know. And like, you know, I wasn't really excited or comfortable with that, at least for the first product. I really wanted people to feel it for themselves. And so that's why, so, that's one of the reasons why we started there was like give people that opportunity to really try it and, and trust their own experience as opposed to just whatever data we put out, you know? Totally. So, so what was that first time that you tried it? Like, did you try yeah. it with a bunch of people or, or like, did you wake up and what, what was that like that moment? Yeah, it was, it was funny. So I, you know, I started Zbiotics and at the first First, it was just like me in a lab for like a year, just trying to mm -hmm. build the product. Right. And it took almost to the day, like exactly a year. And, and, and so I, I, I finally got this prototype, this strain. And I was like, okay, like, you know, it kind of like dawned on me, like actually a couple of days before I made it. Cause I was just so in like lab mode and I was like testing. I was like, wait a minute, like I actually have the product, you know? And then like, I was like, yeah, I should, I should try it. Right. And so like, yeah. so it was like a couple of weeks before my birthday. So I was like, okay, I'll try it the night, my birthday. So be a great birthday present. Um, and so uh, I chose to not think about what would happen if I, you know, if I found out that I had wasted a year of my life. So I basically wrote out a protocol for what would make what I knew would make me feel like miserable the next day. Mm. And so it's like a drinking protocol, like, okay, this many drinks and this amount of time. And if I do that, there's no way I'll wake up tomorrow and, and feel okay. Like I'll definitely feel mm -hmm. bad. And so then, so I followed this like protocol and I have it like, Alec was like writing by hand. And so it's really funny. You can sort of see as like the night goes on that like the handwriting gets like that stuff. And like, <laughs> as you're like yeah, tracking all the drinks that you've taken. Exactly. It's like simultaneously very scientific and completely not scientific at all. And so, yeah, so I did that. And, and then I woke up the next morning and I was like, it was great because I felt like I woke up and I felt at first like, oh God, I'm like pretty tired and I don't know, you know, and I, I kind of got like a mild headache and I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. And, and then I, I just sort of like, ah, whatever. And I kind of, you know, went back to bed for another 20 minutes or so and then got up and like had a coffee, had some breakfast and it was like 1030 in the morning and I felt perfectly fine. And I was like, wow, oh my God, like that's amazing. And, and it was great. Like I'm actually in hindsight, I was very glad that I felt the things I did feel. Cause that was sort of like a positive control, right? Like this back, we really make a point of saying that this is like, you know, we actually don't refer to it as like a hangover cure and like that, like, you know, it's not a get it out of jail free card, right? It doesn't deal with everything you might experience, right? Like this product is specifically engineered to break down acetaldehyde and acetaldehyde is an important part, but only part of the problem, right? So like alcohol itself, for instance, causes poor sleep. I mean, it mm -hmm. also causes like various endocrine imbalances and, 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 and all sorts of things like that, that you will experience like grogginess the next day, like mental fog, like other things. Right. And, and I felt those things. But the good news is that those things are, are relatively easy to deal with, right? Like a good cup of coffee for the grogginess and a good meal to deal with some of like the blood sugar issues, like the pendulum swing you might've been dealing with the night before. And you'll probably feel a lot better. Whereas like acetaldehyde causes like 
all these other like really miserable like feelings mm-hmm. of like you know like just that toxic kind of death feeling. Yeah, I was looking up the side effects of the acetylaldehyde, and it's just terrible for your body. Like that's the yeah. worst part about drinking, and, and that's why it's the worst part about the hangover for sure. Totally, exactly. And so we thought, like, okay, well, we can even just deal with that. Like we're doing we're doing good, right? And mm-hmm. so. And that was what I experienced and it was great. And, and so then obviously, you know, an N of one is not proof by any stretch, yeah. but at least at that point, again, I always like to say, it's like the results were consistent with the hypothesis that the product could be beneficial. And so then, you know, we expanded out from there, like, you know, had a few, a few of my friends try it and then they had a good experience and we just kept, you know, and then by the end of the, by the end, by the time we launched, we had done beta testing with, I think almost 10,000 people, like, you know, really tried to hand them out and, and, and get as much feedback as we could from as many people as possible, tons of conversations. And so that was valuable, not only to find out people's experience with the product, but just like also their experience with hangovers and like expectations. Like, so that's the thing is like, we don't ever use the word hangover because in talking to all these people, we found that like, that's a very loaded term that has different meanings for everybody. And it's Mm -hmm. not a very accurate or precise term. And so, you know, we found that, you know, it, it was actually a lot better to talk about it in terms of like the things that you could do the next day. Um, that that was like much more important to people than like sort of this get out of jail free card. Like this idea that like, you know, you want to go out and have like a responsible night with your friends and, you know, have a few drinks, but then the next day you might wake up and just like not be motivated or not feel like you want to go and do the things you plan to do, like your morning workout or like go even just meet up with your friends or whatever, that, you know, and the, the key thing that people said is they just hated losing a day. That was like their mm-hmm. big thing, you know? And, and so, and that's what this product allows you to do. It's not a get out of jail free card. It just allows you to not lose a day. You're not stuck on the couch anymore. And so, you know, so a lot of those insights happen from just a lot of talking to people early on. How did you, how did you reach 10,000 people before you launched? I mean, partially it was because it took us quite a while to launch the product, even after we had that, that first prototype, because, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. Like it was the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic, which means that we had to figure out our regulatory pathway. We had to figure out a whole new manufacturing system. Like, you know, we're also, as far as we know, like, it's not very interesting and we don't talk about it, but we're the world's first ever shelf stable at room temperature, live probiotic beverage, right? Like that, like, yeah, that doesn't sound cool, but that's huge. Exactly. It's like, it's logistics, right? But like, we wanted people to be able to not have to refrigerate it and, and have it be stable and, and have it be stable and pass through your gut without encapsulation. And so all those things took a lot of work. And so like, you know, it's sort of like blessing in disguise that took like two years for us to do all that. And so in that time, we were just also just handing out lots of samples. And so we did all kinds of things. We, We would go to bars and we'd ask if we could set up like a table and like hand out samples to people. And so we would just like pitch. And it's amazing to me. One of the things I thought was like really fascinating was it was amazing how skeptical people were. And I appreciate that very much. Cause like, I realized mm-hmm. I would be too, if I was like walked into a bar and some guy was like, Hey, try this thing, you know, and, a like, magic liquid. Yeah. What is that? I like, genetically engineered. This. Oh, it's free. And they're like, okay, even more so now, like what <laughs> yeah. is in that? You know, like, and it was funny. We learned a lot about like people like, you know, you know, and so we heard, it was funny. We, we thought like, oh, we're giving away free samples of like this product that's supposed to help you feel better the next day. And you're about to drink like this should be, you know, I mean, the easiest Easy. thing in the world, right? You know, like it's just obvious. And it was like, it was so, there's so much skepticism in the space. There's so much snake oil. And like the people were just so, and so that was awesome. Cause we just like learned a ton of stuff about and, like- And who is we at this point? At this point, like at that point is really just me and my co-founder, Steven. And so he was, he's our chief operations officer. You know, it started with just me in a lab as a scientist. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we had to turn that science, I had to turn that science experiment like into a business, right? And I didn't have any qualifications for any of that. And so I, I needed a partner. And so Steven came on and he helped me, you know, 
take this to the next level, deal with like all the kind of logistical things that we needed yep. done, like regulations, manufacturing, IP, all those things. And so, but he also didn't have a background in D to C or marketing or branding. And so we're really figuring that out together on the fly. And that just started with just talking to as many people. Sounds so like doing the classic uh, YC do things that don't scale kind of thing uh, going out. Right, hundred percent. It, it was exactly that. And it was just like driven to our heads over and over again. That It was okay that this took a lot of time because like it was so important for us to be getting that direct feedback and that direct interaction. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it did. And did you tell them to like text you the morning after or how did you yeah. get the data afterwards? All yeah. different kinds of things. We tried like texting or like we get their email when we hand them out the sample and then we'd email them like a, a, a survey, just all different kinds of stuff. And it was crazy. Like it, it, was, it was very surprising to me how hard it was to get people to try the product and then to get them to like give us feedback. And so actually though, people were really willing to give us feedback once once we convinced them. Like that's the thing is like, if I could have a 15 minute conversation or somebody I could usually convince them like that this was at least we're trying out, you know, and then, and then they'd be like excited or interested. And then they were totally be, you know, now they're part of the science experiment. So they'd like, mm -hmm. they would, they would like to give this feedback, but it was, it was interesting to see. And then, you know, now of course, like we don't have 15 minutes with every person. And so it's like, how do we boil down the important parts of that conversation? Like to what were the critical points? And like, how do we get that into like very concise messaging that somebody will see and, and have mm -hmm. that resonate with them? And how do you scale that on the website without actually meeting these people in person. Totally. <laughs> or like even harder, like in an ad or something, you know, where like mm -hmm. you really only have like, you know, a couple of seconds, you know, with somebody. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard and we're still working on that, but you know, and, and so you launched slightly before COVID. Yeah. We happened. launched in, in August of 2019. So we had a, we had a, you know, a good amount of time before COVID, you know, like five or six months before everything really shut down. Mm -hmm. And, and so we we're just sort of like getting momentum and getting moving. <laughs> and then, and like, we based everything around special occasions, right? Like you're going out to, you're going to that wedding, you know, or that weekend trip with your friends or, or whatever, you know, all these like big special moments. Right. And then like all of that just stopped existing. Right. And so yeah. I was like, okay, so that value prop no longer makes sense, but it was, in a lot of ways, it was a good thing. Again, maybe a blessing in disguise. Like what happened during COVID was that everybody started changing behaviors, right? And they were thinking about their social lives differently. They were thinking about how they consume alcohol differently. And mm -hmm. so it forced us to really dig in and figure out like, how do people really think about drinking in their lives? And particularly now when they're forming new behaviors, how can Zbiotics be, it was an opportunity for us to become like a part of that. And especially because like I say, we're really trying to focus on the positive benefits of the product as opposed to just sort of like pain avoidance. And mm -hmm. like that really allowed us to kind of you know, start to kind of dial in on that a little mm -hmm. bit. And so it's been a really cool experience. And, and so a uh, quick question with the uh, probiotics, when it's, does it stay in your gut? So what if you take one and then maybe the next day uh, you drink again, are, are there still some there? Are they replicating in your gut or how quickly uh, does it kind of go away? It's just like a logistics question. Yeah, logistically, it should about eighteen hours on the on the short end. And that's like okay. normally how the transit time of the bacteria through your gut. We specifically picked a bacteria that is known to not seed your gut, meaning like take up residence there semi permanently or permanently, because that's actually not something that is easy to control. It's very variable, and so anything that a bacteria does is going to be dependent at least in part on the environment of your gut and your, and everybody's gut is different. And so the, you know, the existing mic existing microbiome and, and sort of the gut conditions and are, are all going to be very unique to you. And indeed like you today is going to be very different than you in even like three weeks. Mm -hmm. And so trying to find something that would have some level of consistency. And again, this goes back to simplifying, keeping everything as simple as possible. We picked a bug that you, that people naturally eat every day of their lives. It's ubiquitous in nature and it's naturally evolved to pass through your gut 
um, and pesticide and not seed your gut. It's not part of a, of an adult micro, uh, a normal adult microbiome, but it's also not at all dangerous as there's no pathogenicity. It's, it's something you already experienced every day of your life. And so that was perfect for me. It was like, right. It's like something we know has a, has a defined and, and pretty consistent, like transient timeline. And so mm-hmm. for some people, it can last a few days. And so, you know, you see, and, and so some of these careful studies we see, we, I should, I don't want to mislead. We did not, we, you know, this is drawing from, from literature that already existed. So we being generally the scientific community, we see that, <laughs> that the bacteria can persist for maybe up to seven days in some people, but that is very unusual for most people. It's like 18 to 24 hours. Okay. It's, so it doesn't so give you like, permanent superpowers just, right. just for a little bit. Okay. And so for most people it's a day, right? And then like, yeah. yeah, so theoretically it could last, you know, two days for you. And so if you take some, then like, you know, and you drink again the next night, like theoretically you might still have, it might still be in there, but it's hard to predict at that point. And so we typically just say like, you know, it's about a day for most people and saying that, okay. is, you know, and there's no harm in having more. So the, the amount that we're giving you is so, so because what's interesting is the biological function it's executing and not the number of bacteria, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, you see all these probiotics and it's like a billion, 10 billion, <laughs> like a hundred billion. And you're like, yeah. do I need that much? It's like, I don't know. And so like our, our dose is much smaller than, or it's not a dose. Like our CFU count is much smaller than like a traditional probiotic because it's the biological function that matters. And so, you know, we tested it like a thousand fold higher CFUs than, than what we have in our product. And, you know, with no, no safety issue whatsoever. And it's indeed consistent with like naturally fermented foods like natto and kombucha that have this bacteria already in it. Well, not our mm-hmm. specific strain, but like this species and like, you know, we're even lower than what you would just normally occur, you know, encounter in foods. So nice. having multiple was not a problem, but you don't need it. So, so, so what was scaling up the manufacturing process? Like, yeah, that has been like probably one of the biggest headaches for Zbiot, honestly, <laughs> because we have this live probiotic bacteria that's genetically engineered and it's so stable. You know, it's this, so this bacteria we use is called B subtilis and it's this, you know, common ubiquitous environmental microbe. And it has this amazing capability of being able to form a spore, which allows it to be really resistant. So they've pulled like this bacteria out of like ice flows from like 10,000 years ago and they're still alive. Like they can oh, last wow. forever and they're really stable in that spore form, which is great because it means when you eat it, I mean, naturally it already comes with its own encapsulation. So it, it is naturally resistant to the acid of your stomach and then it reaches your gut and it like wakes up, it comes out of that spore and then it starts, you know, functioning in, in your gut. And so this is like just such a cool. And so that's also how it has such a stable shelf life too. Right. Exactly. So we didn't, have to build that and nature built that for us, which was great. But what we had to do is make sure that we preserved that, that natural function when we were designing our manufacturing process. And so that required us to like, you know, because we wanted to bottle it in, in, in a beverage and we want it to not have to be refrigerated, we have to make sure that there's no other like contaminating microbes in there, which is like goes without saying, obviously, but the way you normally do that is through pasteurization, which is like killing all the bacteria when you, we mm. didn't want to kill our bacteria. So we had to like figure out a way where we can make sure that we didn't know other bacteria and then we killed all the other bacteria, but not ours. And so mm. that was like a big challenge in and of itself. And then we had to find somebody who's willing to work with this very resistant spore that theoretically could cross-contaminate other products they had or whatever, you know, cause we, they didn't, we don't want anything else in our product, but other products don't want our bacteria in their thing either. So uh, we had to figure out a way to, so we had to find somebody, first of all, who's willing to work with us on this. And then we had to kind of develop a, a new pathway. And so we found somebody, but they were very, they're very small scale and that was okay to start, but it means that, you know, we're constantly trying to figure out ways to scale up the process and like grow it. And so it's been a big challenge. It was, a, you know, we, we have these very narrow 
guide like guardrails we have for our product and these requirements and and it made it ruled i mean ruled out the whole world of like contract fermentation for us except for just a very short list of <laughs> providers which was did hard. you have to make your own manufacturing like new manufacturing processes for this or or were you mostly able to contract it and then i think you're also looking to like vertically integrate as well so eventually we i think you know i think one of the things i learned from this and i never thought this would be the hard part i was a manufacturer i was like we've been growing bacteria and fermenters <laughs> for like ever you know like, yeah. like you know it's like brewing beer is just like i mean it's yeast but it's like same thing right and so <laughs> and it was amazing how hard it was to find so yeah so eventually so right now we have we've contracted it out and we developed a proprietary process with contractors and we do have providers and we're trying to build in some level of redundancy because what happens is we'll find somebody who can do it for a while and then for one reason or another they won't be able to do it anymore like we have one contractor they were based in canada they're actually like a subcontractor of the Canadian government. And then they, we paid all this money to like get the process up and running. And then, and then like a month before we were ready to launch and they were, they were just about to doing our first full food grade run. Mm -hmm. They just like called us up and they were like, Hey, the Canadian government decided that this facility is not really, you know, viable. So they're shutting it down. Right? Wow. And like, so we're like a month over launch and a we have nobody away. to manufacture, even though we've done all this stuff with them up until that point, right? Like mm -hmm. to get ready. And then it's just all out the window. So then we scramble, we find somebody else luckily. And we had somebody else. We were already looking for a backup not that we even had any inkling or idea that they weren't going to be able to, but we wanted to have redundancy. And so we, mm -hmm. so luckily we already had this other company on the, you know, in, in process and they were like willing to, to get up and going really quickly, but they kind of put us in one of their pilot facilities, um, small scale. Cause that was what they had available. And then COVID hit and we, you know, reach out to them. We're like, Hey, let's do another run. They're like, we switched all of our equipment over to COVID uh, manufacturing. So they're doing, they were doing different drug development projects and, uh, and vaccine development projects with other companies because they're biotech. And you know, we're mm -hmm. like, great, thank you for doing that. But also darn, because like yeah. we need to find a new partner. So, <laughs> so we, you know, so it just keep kind of happening like that is that like, you know, we find these, these people and they're sort of mm -hmm. these companies and they're using sort of like atypical parts of their process and slotting us in. And so- Trying we, to build your own process exactly, is the goal, ultimately, right? To avoid that, all that headache, exactly. We want to have our own line, like, you know, because we have a unique fermentation process and we have a unique bottling process and mm -hmm. all of that, that like, it just makes sense for us to bring this in house. Yep. And, and it's also very expensive though and, and, and difficult to do. So we're not ready yet, but we've mm -hmm. looked into it and that's the thing we're, we're starting to kind of figure out. And so in the meantime- Nice, for sure. Contracting, yeah. Was that the point at which uh, you were sleeping on the floor of the lab uh, or was that the point when you were developing? It was that first year when I was developing the product. Yeah, so it was just me in a lab and I had nothing else going on. So when I started the company, I had another job and I was in Miami. And then I applied to Y Combinator Fellowship Program, which was just basically a $20,000 grant to just sort of like to help companies get from zero to one. And I got that. And then I just, after about 12 hours of soul searching, was like, no, yeah, I'm doing this. It's a job. And then like, <laughs> started Zbiotics, but I didn't have a lab. I didn't have anything. And so I managed to like get a lab out in, in the city of Berkeley. And, you know, and I'm originally from Northern California. And so I like just flew home or drove home and from, from Miami and like uh, stay with my parents and uh, in Sacramento. And that's about an hour and a half from Berkeley. And so I was like, you know, cause I didn't have any money to get like pay for an apartment or anything mm -hmm. like that, you know, cause $20,000 is not, no, that's not enough for rent. Yeah, exactly. No, it's you want to like, spend it on the lab, right? On the lab. Yeah. It was all hundred percent going into R and D. Right. So what I would do is I would just like drive to Berkeley and then throughout the week I would, you know, at night, like I say, I had nothing else going on. So I would just like roll out the sleeping bag under my lab bench. And I don't think that the guy who was running me the lab space knew I was doing this. And so, but you know, I mean, it's fine now, right? It's over, but like, that's awesome. I, yeah, I, I, and I wake up at like seven in the morning and, you know, before anyone else got in and like clean up and then just get back.
back to work. And, and it was like, it was a really fun time because the problems were problems I understood, right? It was, it was science. It was things that like, I could, I could just work hard and figure out. And then, and then, you know, ironically, now that I work a more, you know, normal hours and I don't sleep in the lab or anything, I feel like the problems are a lot harder, you know? So I kind of, and there's so many things that, that we, that we had so many more problems we have now. And there a lot, many of them are not in my area of training or, or particular mm-hmm. expertise. So, yeah. So, so now I guess your main focus, now that you have this first Zbiotics product is that you're working on new, new product. So yeah. what, what like future product lines for, you know, I, I, on your website, it says you're looking to enhance humans, but then also to create new materials and to sequester carbon. Like what, let's start talking about the uh, enhancing humans ones. What else can we do other than preventing hangover or uh, reducing the acetylaldehyde, not preventing hangovers, but almost preventing. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's, you know, that is ultimately what right we started the company for, right? This is always meant to just be a proof of concept, right? Like a first way to introduce the tech, but is the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic, but it definitely won't be the last by us mm-hmm. or others. I mean, so I think this is just, as I said earlier, it's like we can program any biological function on the planet into a bacteria, and then you can eat that bacteria and temporarily gain that function. It's like, what a powerful idea. Mm-hmm. And so we do have lots of ideas of things we want to do. Like our second product, we're in the process of commercializing. And so I can't say exactly what it is yet because we're still trying to keep that powder dry, but it's not at all related to drinking. It's much more related to the things you might expect. Like it's a, you know related to like gut health and the microbiome. And so really tapping into my microbiology roots and making a really great, a better product than the other things that are out there. And, and so generally like within that realm, we're also developing products that are related to better nutrient absorption from your foods or protection of, of normal toxins you're exposed to every day, which is, which is a lot like the acetaldehyde product. But like, you know, you think about like heavy metals in your drinking water or things like that, things that you don't necessarily, you aren't able to really avoid, uh, mm. but that we also mm-hmm. aren't good for you. And like, right, we have microbes, microbes deal with this stuff all day, every day. And so like, you know, we can, we can leverage that. And so those, so those are some of the things, but then I think what's even cooler is that like, we also know and are continuing to learn more about how the microbes in your gut really influence so much more about your health and your body than just the gut. And people make too big of a deal out of that or, or kind of like overclaim there. And so, mm-hmm. and that is frustrating. And so I don't want to like, maybe like, you know, try and sell the world here or anything, but we do know that for instance, like we know there's a good literature that shows that like, you know, certain, certain byproducts of bacterial metabolism, you know, help your body recover better from, from stress related to like exercise or poor sleep or things like that. And, you know, there's, there's good documented literature to demonstrate that. And so we can leverage and enhance that. So we can help you with engineer microbes recover better from, from, you know, different stresses you put on your body through normal mm-hmm. living, through either exercise or performance enhancement, um, or so like, can uh, that help your sleep deprivation? So, so can that kind of help your muscles grow? Is that, is that like, if you're ever from exercise or yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, so like, it wouldn't be, I mean, I don't know who knows, right? Like there's a biological function of everything. So maybe help your muscles grow, but like, you know, even just like reduce the things that hinder your muscles from growing. Like to, if that makes sense, is like a, a, a fine nuance, right? Like mm-hmm. if there are byproducts of your workout that strain your body or, or hinder your body's ability to recover, you know, there are bacteria that can help you deal with those byproducts those stress related byproducts. And so that can at least just like clear the way for your body to heal itself more efficiently or better for instance, mm-hmm. after workout, after poor sleep. So it, it is really amazing. And then, and then we also know like, you know, there's a lot has been made of like sort of the gut brain axis and a lot of the data is very preliminary, but there are things that we, that we do see in the literature related to mood that are direct biological outputs of, 
or metabolic outputs, I should say, of, of the bacteria that live in your gut. I mean, so mm -hmm. there are things that we could potentially do related to mood. And, you know, and then I think one of the things that I'm really excited about too is like, and this is like really far afield, right? But like the idea of That's like, awesome. ast yeah, astronauts, right? And like, like mm -hmm. someday we're hopefully going to go like semi-permanently into outer space, like into Mars or whatever that might be. And there's a whole new range of right, stresses that you're going to have to deal with at that point, right? Mm -hmm. uh, related to like radiation exposure and, you know, you're going to have a limited diet and like the nutrition you extract from your food is going to be so critical at that point, right? Because you can't just go to the grocery store and get a convenient bag of like vegetables, mixed vegetables mm -hmm. and stuff. So, so like thinking of bacteria that can really help you recycle waste more efficiently, absorb nutrients more efficiently, protect you from radiation. I mean, bacteria have all these amazing genes related to protecting their genomes and you know exposure to UV, all these things and that that we could theoretically leverage. And so I think- Do you think that would also so be much delivered? Sorry, uh, do you think that would also yeah. be delivered by a drink as well, like to protect us from radiation? And then it might take the food, how, would, how exactly would that work? I mean, cool. you know, there's all different kinds of ways, right? Like you just have to, the bacteria just have to go in a way that they'll have access. So if it's useful for it to be in your gut, and sometimes it is, and surprisingly, sometimes it is, that mm -hmm. the gut is actually the source of, of, of need. But sometimes, you know, you have a microbiome on your skin. And so, you know, you can imagine an engineered microbe that you, you, you smear on like a sunscreen mm -hmm. or like, you know, you have bacteria, like in so many parts of your, of your body, in your mouth, for instance, like you, you know, they're all and in your sinuses you're gonna zebiotics toothpaste coming soon <laughs> i mean totally right like we could right and like yeah. you know cavities are created by bacteria right like like mm -hmm. and so or and my bacteria microbes in general and so like bacteria can also be the solution to those problems and so mm -hmm. i think there are just like so many really cool things that we can do anywhere where a bacteria has access eh, that that ends up being the source of a problem so what we're really doing here is in situ delivery of an important biological function, right? That you mm -hmm. didn't have and that in that site before. And so that's the power of having a living microbe executing a function as opposed to just like delivering a small molecule or an enzyme itself. Mm -hmm. Is that like you have the factory that's performing that function for you in that spot, which I think is just amazing. So there's just so many cool things. Yeah. You can do. Yeah. And especially if, if you can make them grow in the outer space, then you don't have to keep uh, sending them up to the astronauts because they'll just keep replicating as well. And then they can maybe keep eating that. And, you know, it replicates by using waste products from the astronauts or something like that, and then just converting okay. it into valuable materials and, and growing from there. I mean, That's it's totally really possible, cool. right? Like right now we, we, we focus specifically on transient microbes, but mm -hmm. theoretically, if we wanted to, and I think that there are many challenges that come with this, but like, if we wanted to try to engineer something that was a more like semi-permanent resident of the microbiome, like mm -hmm. in the case of an astronaut where that might be really important, then, you know, that is a possibility because, right, you do have microbes that take up more long-term residence in your body. And so that, that is a possibility with the technology for sure. I bet, I bet another one would be maybe increasing bone density of an astronaut. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, it's true. Zero G can be an issue, right? Like in bone density and, and muscle atrophy and things like that. And so I'd have to think about how, like uh, a lot of things I've said already are things I've already thought of. And I haven't thought of that one. So I'd have to think about how we could target that biologically in a way that was was also like like safe. But I, I mean, certainly theoretically it is possible. Like I have to mm -hmm. think more about it, but yeah, I totally. <laughs> I mean, that is a, a major issue. So yeah. So and, I'm always and, really and, excited about the astronaut stuff. You know, I think I wish, yeah, wish I could cool. have been an astronaut. So maybe you can be, maybe, maybe in 10 years, yeah. you, you'll be able to take a quick trip to the moon or something like that totally, pretty totally. easily on Starship. W what about creating new materials? What, how, how can you use these bacteria to create or probiotics to create materials? So like, 
you know, I think when we think of materials, particularly when it says like on our website is we talk about carbon sequestration and material. And, and a lot of this is like us sort of advocating for the broader field of genetic engineering. And so one of the things that is really front and center for me when I started this company was that it was very important that we dealt directly with consumers and we had an open and honest and transparent conversation about our use of genetic engineering and GMOs. And, you know, in a time when, you know, as far as I know, there's no brands or maybe, you know, a small handful of brands that say anything about having genetic, you know, GMOs where every brand is saying non-GMO, even if it's like water or, you know, some <laughs> random product that like could never have been genetically engineered. Yeah. Nobody's bragging about it. Right. And we're standing up and we say proudly GMO on every, it's printed on every bottle of our product. I mean, every box of our product and it's right in front center on the website. Right. And it's not so much like advocating for the technology, but it's like, let's stop pretending if we're using it, pretending like we're not using it as if there's something to hide. And then if we're not using it, bragging about not using it, that really conveys a message that this fundamentally, this technology is a problem. When in reality, the technology is just a technology like any other. It can be used irresponsibly or for good or bad, right? And like, and so really what we should be evaluating is the end products that are being built with these, with this technology in the same way that metallurgy is just a technology we use to make different products, right? And then you make a knife or a spoon and they have very different safety profiles and very different things that need to be considered, right? But the fact that a spoon was made with the same technology as a knife does not inherently make the spoon as dangerous as a knife, right? And so I feel like it's the same thing with genetic engineering and the, the less the more people who use this technology hide it, the more people are apt to fear it and reject it like outright. And so mm-hmm. when we say proudly GMO, it's not to say that all GMOs are good or safe because that's ridiculous, right? Like every product has its own safety profile. And so what we say is that the technology is not inherently bad. And mm-hmm. we try to advocate for that. And so, and I think there are so many important and useful things that the technology can be used for. So like with carbon sequestration or with like higher yield per acre crops and drought resistant crops and things, we're protecting humanity from starvation, right? Like as humanity grows, like that is a very important thing that needs to be done in one way or another, right? And going back in time to organic farming, and this is not me saying that, you know, organic farming is, there are a lot of important things that, and techniques that can be leveraged from organic farming, but going back in time to, you know, 17th century technology to feed like a 21st century population is not the answer. It's also arrogant and, and not inclusive, right? Like, like, oh, how nice it is for you to be able to pay extra for your food. But the fact that you pay extra means that it's not sustainable, right? Like if it was sustainable, it'd be cheaper. It's more expensive because it's less efficient and less sustainable. And it's not, does not provide democratic access to resources. So like we do need technology to improve, right? And so it's just a matter of how that improves. And so we believe that if we are able to elevate this conversation between from is it or isn't it and like good or bad to something that's like, okay, this technology exists and how do we use it responsibly and transparently in a way that people are comfortable with it also can help benefit humanity, like with things like new novel biomaterials, replacing chemical materials, or, you know, just slaughtering a bunch of cows to get leather. Hmm. Why don't we use, you know, engineer microbes to do that? Like that's a way more efficient and humane way to get that thing done. Then we believe that like, you know, like that's part of our mission is just really elevating that conversation for the technology as a whole. When do you think you'll start making like a carbon sequestration microbes? Do you have a timeline I mean, on that? Like, we are not like, currently that is not like- You're just advocating for that in general. And we're really focused on, exactly. and like, we know that there are, like there was this amazing paper that was published where they convert, they made E. coli get all of its carbon from sequestering it from, from the air as opposed to from sugar that was put into the media. And so like, that was amazing, right? It was able to mm-hmm. completely function by carbon sequestration. And so as that technology continues to advance, that 
that is something that we could potentially start to leverage when it comes to dealing with the excess carbon that we are currently releasing from underground back into the air, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's where it was before too, right? It was in the air and then a bunch of, you know, dinosaur bones or whatever, like you sequestered <laughs> it as oil and now we're releasing it back out into the air by burning it. And so we're like, oh, we probably shouldn't, we, we need to put that back underground. And so finding yeah. biological ways to do that through genetic engineering, I think are possible, you know? And so, yeah, exactly. So I think our role within carbon sequestration, I see it is, is really just like advocating for the safe use of the technology and regulation. Okay. Like that's the other thing is we really wanted to find clear regulations around, you know, because all it takes is one bad actor, right? To use this, to engineer a microbe in a way that that ends up being unsafe or a disaster for it to ruin it for everybody. And so it's mm-hmm. actually really important for us to be responsible. And then, and we also see like the need to advocate for clear, logical and science-based regulations around genetic engineering and genetically engineered probiotic microbes in particular. Mm-hmm. And so when companies are out there building microbes that are engineered to sequester carbon, they're doing that clear expectations about what they should be looking for in terms of safety and responsibility. And so I think that totally can be done, of course. And so I guess what we want people to do. And so and so we're in a conversation with a lot of, of folks about how we how we accomplish that, like companies and the government and things like that. So nice. Uh, really nice. About, yeah. Well, let me know if you end up doing anything with the Salton Sea. The Salton Sea in Southern California, it needs to be terraformed. And I'm very obsessed with learning how to terraform this. And essentially it was a man-made sea in in around like 1905, the Colorado River burst and then flooded the Salton Basin and it, it created the sea. And for up until the 1950s, it created a bunch of life and biodiversity flourished. But because there was no inlet, the water kept evaporating and then eventually the salinity of the water, now it's almost twice as much as the Pacific Ocean. And so there's talk, there's wow. algae blooms, there's uh, high salinity, nothing can can grow there. There's dust pollution. So asthma is like three times the rate in the surrounding wow. areas. So I think that because it's super high salinity, maybe you can have microbes that can deal with maybe decreasing the salinity of the water or fixing plants near the barren desert or something like that. I, I don't know the exact solutions, but I am very interested in terraforming the Salton Sea. So maybe when I have a ton of money, I'll, I can order some microbes from you to, Dude, to work on this. <laughs> this is like so fascinating. Like, so like one of the things I thought was related to is like I went to the Dead Sea, which is you know, a very high salinity sea. And, and like, you know, they thought for a long time that there was no life there because it was like so salty that nothing could live. But then of course, like, like everywhere, they find that like there are microbes that can live there. And so, and, and which is amazing. It's like, how do they do that? And like, they have these crazy osmotic, like pressure gauges and things like that. And so, you know, it, it makes sense that we could pull from these other environments and like these other biological functions to make something that, that theoretically could, like you say, maybe like, it's funny to call it like terraforming, but like, you know, cause it to- is on earth. Terraforming like, is totally but, what it is because yeah, right, we created exactly. that. We created that in the beginning, right? In yeah. the 1900s or 1900, it was fine. And then, and then we created that and then we let it get worse. And now we have to, you know, now that it's there, we're like, oh crap, we should probably, we should make it better. Like we shouldn't just watch it. Um, totally. I think humans have the, the tendency to, to just watch things get worse and be scared to make things better in terms right. of like in this kind of, it's like, oops, we, we accidentally created that. We're going to watch it get worse, but we're not really going to do much to actually make yeah. it better, but we need to change that mindset. And so, so by just talking about terraforming, I think that's super important. It, it demonstrates agency over our environment and like how humans are really cool and can create this cool stuff. Totally. I think that's important. Yeah. So when you start terraforming, definitely that that's why I'm like, 
asking a bunch of questions about that because I, oh, I, I want I'd to order to. microbes from you too. When totally. You do that, well, it could be like, a, can. I think that like we have all these like great ideas of things we want to build, like ridiculous stuff, like things you, we didn't even get to this. We just talked about human augmentation, but like, you know, stuff you could like imagine spraying microbes in your shower to like help prevent mm. like fungal growth, right? As opposed to like bleach or like these toxic compounds, you know, or uh, toxic, like harsh chemicals or whatever, you know, and there's so many cool things we could do with microbes, like even outside of our bodies, right? That would be like really, really cool. So, you know, you know, very excited about all the stuff we can build. And so I, I don't see, I don't see this as something that Zbodies won't do. For know? sure. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully we get to get into like, we're definitely, next time you're on the podcast, we're going to, we're, we'll have more ideas about how to do this. All right. That sounds good. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, 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 you know, kind of in closing, you started out in classics. If you, I guess we're going over it. Is that all right? Uh, yeah. I just yeah, wanted yeah, no, to no just quickly like talk about how you started off in like a classics degree and then you went into a PhD in microbiology and, and starts like, how, how do you think that helped you? And, and how did you get on that path? Yeah. I mean, and like, what advice do you have for anybody else kind of thinking about getting into startups from the research side? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it's not totally fair to say that certain classics, because I, I actually did double major in college, like in classics, but then also in molecular and cell biology. And so I, I did do them both. And I think that they sound very disparate, but you know, in, in like recently kind of thinking through how I got there, I think that both of them search to uncover truth from like the unknown. Because like, what I really liked in classics was like, the archaeology. Mm -hmm. Art and archaeology is my focus. And so like in archaeology, you're digging around in the dirt and trying to like reconstruct, like discover information that you allow you to kind of construct a story or a truth about what happened. And I think mm -hmm. that like with science, it's the same thing. You're sort of like digging around in a microscope, trying to uncover information that will allow you to construct what has happened or what is currently happening in the world. And so I went on an archaeological dig actually while I was in college. And I think I saw that it was in, the way that the stories were created and like the truth was uncovered was maybe didn't speak to me quite as much as the way scientific stories were created mm. and discovered, uh, although inherently very interesting. And I still have a deep passion for classical history. You know, science was my, I could tell was my, my true calling or whatever. And so one was sort of like an interest or a hobby and the other was, so yeah, so I spent, but I spent several years trying to figure that out before I went back and got my PhD. It took me four years really to make the decision to go back to grad school because mm. I, I really, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, and I just tried a lot of different stuff. And then, and then I realized that like science was where I wanted to be. And, and, and I became very interested in microbes. And initially from a disease perspective, I was really interested interested in kind of like how microbes cause disease. But then as I started working in my PhD, I realized like, even though I was studying a disease causing microbe, I started to appreciate all the amazing, like disease is actually a very narrow part of what microbes do. Like most of what microbes do is like either neutral or beneficial to humans. Mm -hmm. And so like, and that's actually a far more interesting question for me. And so I think what drove me there. And then, you know, like I think my advice was uh, the best piece of advice I could give in terms of like anybody thinking about starting a startup and or going to grad school. I'm like, cause you get this question a lot. It's sort of like, should I go? Do I need to? Whatever. It's like, don't go to grad school because you know you, it's the next step or like you think it'll look impressive or, or you have to, or something. It's like only go if you're, if you really want to, and you know that the, the specifically, whatever it is you want to do, having that degree will help you accomplish that goal specifically. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's, it's a lot of time and effort that you know, that you may end up not even need. And, and so um, when you went back to grad school, you knew that you wanted to start a startup in microbiology. You just well, didn't know exactly what it was or a hundred percent sure that that point that I wanted to start a startup, but I knew I wanted to work in small biotech of some variety. Mm. Like, and I did see a possible manifestation that being that start a startup someday, but it wasn't like, I'm going to start Zbiotics. I'm going to get a PhD so I can start Zbiotics. You know, it was just, I was like, I knew that I wanted to, I didn't want to be in academia, but, and I, and, and also I saw that like big pharma 
was I wouldn't have as much control over my research or like how I applied my science. And so like the idea of having, like what I really wanted to do was have a direct impact on people's lives, like myself with my science. And so like, I thought that the best way to do that was to make a product or work on something that people would use. And I thought that small biotech and startups was probably the most direct line I could find for that. And that's, you know, that is what I'm doing today, right? Literally yeah. the thing I built in the lab, sleeping on the floor of the lab is now people are buying it, you know, and, and using it all over the country in their lives. And, and that to me is like the most thrilling and exciting part about it all. That was it. And so then when I decided to start a startup, again, it was not something that I thought was something I would do someday. And then I ended up starting Zbiotics because like, I just couldn't not start it anymore. Like I kept like, I had this idea kept swimming around in my head and I, I couldn't shake it. And then my friends made me apply to this Y Combinator fellowship program. And I got mm -hmm. it. It was just sort of, you know, like, I don't know if you'll end up in a better place if you take that for sure. Like, even right. if it doesn't work out, like, and you have to see it happen. You have exactly. to at least see how it will happen. People always say like, oh, just get started with a startup. And it's like, I don't think that that's too simplified, right? At some yeah. point, you have to care so deeply about what you're doing and be so excited about it that you just get sucked in by the gravity of it more than, you know, actively starting it. And so I think that that's what happened for me. And that's my advice is if you're thinking about starting it, ask yourself, could you imagine not starting it? Is that even a possibility for you? And if the answer to that is yes, then give it more time, like think through it more, right? But if like, if at some point you're like, no, there's no reality I can see myself living in where I wouldn't start this, then like, okay, mm -hmm. it's probably time to start it. Did you have other startup ideas? Not really. I mean, probably I like, I used to carry around this little book in my back pocket, like one of those little notebooks. And I write like down, it was like, kind of like <laughs> million, million dollar ideas. I got, I got, uh, a, yeah, I got a book. Yeah, exactly. And so like, and I always like find all these like weird little documents, like, like buried in my old computers of like little, like, like just like streams of consciousness of ideas. So like I did, I had ideas for stuff, but none of them were really fleshed out enough to be a startup. I think Zbotics was the first time where the idea had matured enough that I was like, I want to make a, it started out as sort of like living microbes in your body, preventing disease or doing something for you. And then it was like, what about probiotics you could eat that you are engineered? And so, and then like, you know, and then it got to like acetaldehyde and that kind of stuff. So like it, it nice. happened over, honestly, like that idea, idea ended up maturing over the course of like almost 10 years before okay. it like really became Zbiotics. And so wow. um, I definitely had other ideas. It needed but some fermentation time. <laughs> totally. Exactly way to put it. And like, I was like, and I also was, I never really considered myself an entrepreneur. And so I just like never kept thinking, like I was just thinking like, this is a good idea. Like somebody should do this or I should maybe like think of a way to do this. But then it was just, like, starting a company was sort of like took a lot of activation energy for me to kind of get to. Awesome. What What's like other biotech areas that interest you other than microbiology? This is the last question. I'm just curious, like where you would be exploring or what else interests you outside I mean, of microbiology? I think like microbiology is probably like, the thing is that within like microbiology or synthetic biology, maybe more, maybe if I can like cheating a little bit, like synthetic biology more broadly, it's okay. like, it's not always microbes is, is so exciting because all the things that we can do, like, like, right. Like, so I work in like direct consumer probiotic things you can foods essentially. Right. But mm -hmm. like you can, like we were talking about, like you, you can have so much of an impact on the environment or like on agriculture or materials. Like, I mean, there's just so many things you can do. And I think that that to me is just like, there's so much in here. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's like, I, you know, I, I can't imagine ever leaving because the pool is already so big of things we yeah. can do, but you know, I guess within synthetic biology, there's a lot of other really cool things don't necessarily directly deal with microbes, like, you know, non-cellular systems where you make bioreactors with just the enzymes that you want and don't mess with all the other biological functions hmm. that a cell does. I, I, I think that's like a fascinating thing. That, that is really cool to really look that cool. up, yeah. look into that. And, and then, you know, and then like, like I, like some of the board of this company, that's like looking for like how we define complexity of life in ways other than genetics. And I think hmm. that that's like fascinating, you know? So I think within like the realm of greater synthetic biology, there's, it, it, you know, now like the, you know, the bounds are limitless, you know, and it's yeah. just like, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Zach. I really appreciate the time. 
And I look forward to having you back on when we can talk more about some terraforming or yeah, totally. other Zbiotic projects. I'm super excited. Definitely go, if you're listening to this, definitely go test out the Zbiotics product yeah. and Good code NASJAK, use code NASJAK and let me know how it is. Definitely tweet at us and, and give us some some feedback. So looking forward. Totally. Thanks, Jack, so much fun. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. See Awesome. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. That was super fun. I really love this startup. I think they're going to do amazing things. And it's really cool that they're starting with a consumer product and then bootstrapping from there. So remember, go to zbiotics.com, use code NASDAQ for 10% off. And let me know, tweet at me how the hangover felt the next day, how the hangover didn't feel the next day, really. Or just tweet at me what you thought of the podcast, uh, NASDAQ underscore underscore. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.